evening, everyone. My name is Bridget Black, Vice President of the New York Book Forum, and it is a pleasure to welcome you to our event titled A Look at Love, The New Voices of Romance. Tonight, we'll take a look into the world of writing romance through questions on plot, narrative rules, representation, and marketing. And we're incredibly excited to introduce our moderator, Jennifer Prophet. Jennifer is the Digital Marketing Manager for Brooklyn Public Library and the co-host of Ship Tease, a podcast dedicated to recommending television, books, and movies based on romance. So we are certainly in good hands. Take it away, Jennifer. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here with three amazing panelists to discuss romance. First, we have TJ Alexander, who writes about queer love. Originally from Florida, they received their MA in writing and publishing from Emerson College in Boston. They live in New York City with their wife and various houseplants. I'm also joined by Elf Ahern. Yes, that is her real name. She lives in New York's Hudson Valley with her husband and two kittens. They're technically cats, but they prefer being kittens. She writes dramatic, action-packed historical romances under the tagline, Regency Romance with a Gothic Twist. Her debut novel, A Rogue in Sheep's Clothing, hit number one in its genre on Amazon. She has authored three additional Regency romances, participated in four anthologies, has a short story appearing in a fifth anthology to be published in October, and is under contract to release the final two novels in her Albright Sisters series. And we have Lauren White Jackson, uh, who is a lifelong fan of all things books. She has worked as a freelance editor for magazines, comic books, and novels for nearly four years now. Throughout her career, she strives to understand the art of bookmaking while amplifying stories that establish a sense of wonder, acceptance, and care. Thank you all for being here today. Um, when I am in a group of, of people who I know read romance and, you know, trying to come up with an icebreaker, I always love to start with what is your first romance novel and what do you remember about it? Should I go first? Alphabetically? Yeah, yeah go for it. <laughs> Maybe that's not alphabetical. Wow, I'm really selling this <laughs> writing career of mine. Um, so... <laughs> The first romance novel I remember ever reading was, and I think this is a pretty common uh, experience for a lot of romance readers, it was sort of being in a vacation home with a kind of take a book, leave a book system bookshelf uh, and picking up a book that someone else had left behind that was like, I was way too young to be reading, really steamy. I don't remember the title or the author or anything like that. I do remember that it was very, very, um, uh, spicy, we would call it now. Um, and it was historical. It was, a, sort of a Viking, uh, kind of thing, Viking hero. Um, and yeah, I remember being both intrigued and um, like, you know, just all sorts of things, <laughs> just all sorts of things. Yeah, that was my, that was my first romance. Um, my first romance was um, actually MMK's uh, Trade Winds. She's the author of The Far Pavilions. And I just, I had always honestly disparaged romance novels. 
And I read that thing and I was like, oh my God, if there are more of like that, this in the world, I need to get there. And then I read um, Mary Jo Putney's The Rake, which is just, a, it's a brilliant, brilliant book. And I thought, wow, you know, this is, this is an art form. It's an art form and it really deserves our attention and appreciation. As a quick follow-up to that, Elf, um, so you discovered romance as an, a, an adult reader? Yeah. Yeah. And what were you reading predominantly before that? Uh, I would say literary fiction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Almost exclusively. So, yeah. But it just wrong. took the one for you to, to dive in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, and then my sister sent me a Sabrina Jeffries, which I don't remember what the title is, but kind of the same experience you had TJ it was like whoa sea biscuit and um and that you know had a certain degree of intrigue for me <laughs> that's interesting I feel like I'm going to break the rules a little bit because I don't remember what my first romance novel was I feel like my first very distinct experience with romance literature I guess you could say was manga um, I think my first one that I collected specifically because I just loved the way that I think love was talked about was um, Fruits Basket. Mm. I had pretty much every every volume. I still do. Um, <laughs> but I think it had, it was almost like a literature crush for me. It was my first experience with feeling fluttery feelings and seeing how, I guess, multiple characters in a story can interact where there is romance kind of in the forefront. It wasn't about it wasn't completely about romance, but it was definitely relevant enough where I would almost like hold that book and as an, as an example of like what I wanted to see in my own life. So a good introduction, I guess, if you will, to the genre. Yeah, that's great. When I um when I was like a nine, 10 year old, I would rush home to watch Sailor Moon. And so that was kind of my introduction to all of that. Mm -hmm. She also uh, shares the same birthday as me. So I was always oh, yeah. like, we're we're destined to to love this but that was my introduction and then like you were saying I was like I want more of this I, I think as as all of, of you have touched on I want more of this and really wanting to expand and explore the genre from there no matter what the entry point was mm -hmm. you know I read um I didn't read uh, last night I saw a documentary about um Judy Bloom, and she was talking about how her honesty about sex and sexuality in her books was so revolutionary mm -hmm. and that she got like a thousand letters a month from kids who were confessing things to her that they absolutely could not tell their parents and they were curious so many of them were curious about sex and um you know I think that that actually is one benefit um of romance it's like it scratches that itch for lack of a better you know phrase but well and I think it, it serves as a, a jumping off point right yeah. for um whether or not you're a teen who's kind of exploring these issues on your own or an adult who's maybe like looking at things through a different lens um, that actually leads me to my first question for you guys. Um, romance is often used as a tool for education and exploring identity, or maybe not a tool, but it is, you know, something um, 
where people can can use it to explore identity and discover agency for themselves. So what do you think romance achieves as a genre for you personally, for readers collectively? PJ, you want to hit that first or shall sure. go ahead? You, you can go ahead and alphabetize. All right, all right. <laughs> okay, so um, for me, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna be very honest here. Like I was a hot mess when I sort of entered the dating scene and I just was with all kinds of wretched people and, um, you know, trying so hard to please people that actually we had zero connection. And so for me, reading romance kind of taught me the way to say no, you know, so it really, it really opened my eyes as to um, maybe a far better way of conducting a, a relationship and, um, and also to have higher expectations, not, you know, I mean, I think that it is fantasy, but I also, my, my expectations rose for how I felt men should treat me. And so it's been very helpful, actually. Sure. Yeah, yeah I definitely, I, I agree with that. I feel like it's a really good question because romance is definitely one of the genres, if not the genre, where I feel like a lot of people almost seek it out because it's so, it, it's comforting in that you have all these questions when you're younger or when you're older at any really, really at any point. And you can open a romance novel or a comic book or anything like that and kind of see something that usually has happened in your life reflected in the narrative. Even if romance isn't really a part of your life, maybe it's your friend or your parents. It does a really good job, I think, of laying the groundwork for you and trying to understand, you know, maybe there's a certain dynamic in your life that you don't really care for. And now you've finally seen a character going through something similar. You understand how you would like to be treated or how you would not like to be treated simply because someone else decided that they were going to publish this work. It's almost like a group effort through the industry to try to understand love and understand how relationships ought to work, um, which I find really um, incredible, really. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think, I think there are some moments where I am writing a book and I am thinking to myself like, gosh, I hope no one's using this as like uh, educational tool. <laughs> you know, I hope that they're not treating this like a textbook or anything. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, I, I believe that in order to make my books, um, you know, good, they, there has to be a level of specificity that like not everyone is going to relate to the characters or see what they do as you know morally good or or whatever all the time so you know there's that but there's also like I I also feel um a responsibility to my readers to kind of present what what I would like to have is this fantasy of like oh here is you know, a queer couple, they may not be like any couple that you know, or any couple you've ever been a part of, but like, here is a version of what that could look like. Um, and hopefully, a, you know, a beautiful version, um, a happy version. So yeah, I, I think that there's a, there's a lot of pressure <laughs> in a lot of ways to, to make sure you're doing the right thing. And um, yeah, I just hope I'm hitting, hitting that, hitting it right most of the time. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's, it's very relatable. I think a lot of art authors and, and artists, but authors definitely feel like if you decide to write something, it is almost your responsibility to like do it correctly. But I actually think it's more charming that you can read about so many different scenarios and, you know, it might not, it may have a happy ending, but it doesn't mean that everything's going correctly, you know, and as it should be during the story. I mean, that's, that's life. So it's probably in a strange way, almost comforting. If you come across a story where it's like, oh no, they experienced this thing. Maybe I've experienced it. Maybe someone else in my life has experienced it and it's hard and painful to read, but at least that person knows that they're not alone in, you know, reading it. And I think that's also what makes your writing so cool, TJ. Um, <laughs> and part of why I admire it, um, I think it's good. I think it's good to open a book and see scenarios that maybe like your life and completely not like your life and still be able to say something like, oh, now I understand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I also think like you sort of live vicariously through novels, mm -hmm. through any novel, you know? And I know um, my my sister is, um, she's a really obsessive romance reader and she's single. She lives with my mom. She has a wonderful life with my mom, but I think that her, um, she can, she lives vicariously through, through reading romance. And I think it's, I think it's a wonderful way to fulfill herself. Sure. So, yeah. I'm sorry, Jennifer, I interrupted. Go ahead. No, no, I, yeah, this is all really great um, conversation. I was just going to kind of tack on to, to both what um, TJ was saying and, and what you were just saying is I think that romance is such a, a vehicle for both exploring um, your own stories and like seeing people who look like you or who have similar experiences within those pages, but also an opportunity to explore you know, experiences that aren't like your own. And, um, and that's, that's really powerful. And I think that is something that with the happy ending, right, you, there's so much you can do within that the happy ending is guaranteed everything else about about life about about our stories has opportunity to be different and as varied as we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so that kind of brings me to a question about craft. Um, when we're talking about writing love stories, writing happy endings, um, why did each of you choose to write about love and romance and, and pick the subgenres that you write in? Well, um, my I, I lost, I got laid off from my job in 2008 and I was kind of flopping around. And this sister of mine who was obsessed with romance said, why don't you write romance and uh, <laughs> because because it can sell you know because romance readers are sort of more open to new writers and what have you and so I thought oh, okay and she said write Regency romance because that's what I read and so then I started sort of getting into it and and I love to do the research so you talk about craft that is one thing that like Regency romance authors are like unbelievable with their knowledge of England and that little tiny moment in time is like down to the last detail. It's amazing. 
I remember as a, a teenager, my parents asking me how I knew so much about the aristocracy of England or like what a reticule was and, you know, yeah. things like that. <laughs> Did you tell them the reason? Oh, 100%. Yeah, they knew what I was reading. I was working yeah. at my local library, sneaking the books home, but they knew what I was reading. Definitely. Yeah, yeah I know way too much about horses and carriages than I think the average person should yeah. know. Like, I, I don't think there's going to be much use in my day-to-day -day life for horse and carriage knowledge, but, it, you know, when you can deploy it, man. Oh, <laughs> you never know. Yep. You, yep. you never know. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, for me, uh, very similar to Elf, I lost my job in 2020. <laughs> um, you know, I, I was struggling to figure out what to do next. I had had this idea kind of, you know, shooting around in my head. I, I had not been into romance as an adult for very long after, you know, my purient youngster interests <laughs> sort of faded as I realized like oh you know these books aren't actually for me they're really straight they're really um super heterosexual uh you know there just wasn't a lot of of room in that genre for me at that time um and it was only when I got older and I started picking up you know newer romances romances by queer authors and and romances with a more, I guess, modern sensibility, you could say, um, that, you know, I, I started thinking of like, well, if I were to write, if I were to write one of these things, what would it, what would it be like? And I had had this idea sort of kicking around um, for a while. And yeah, I always been interested just, I don't know, in the parts of the stories that dealt with people's relationships and their emotions. Like, even if I was just watching like an action movie where you don't even like really learn the character's name, um, I would I would still be like watching it with like an eye to like, well, who who's that? And are they into each other? And like, <laughs> um, so yeah, it made sense to me to write about love stories because I think those are the most interesting ones. Everything else is just kind of like to me an excuse. <laughs> up to the love story <laughs> that's funny I relate to that so so much <laughs> <laughs> yeah like that that movie true lies I thought I, I don't know if you guys have seen it like um Jamie Lee Curtis and Arnold Schwarzenegger and they're a married couple and he's actually a spy who pretends he sells insurance or something like that <laughs> and, you know it's this whole it's a it's a wonderful kind of love story rediscovering one another and um but it's also this action-packed thing and I think that the the thing that is the most fun about that movie is the relationship like you said can have all these guns going off and excitement happening but it's the relationship that really keeps that movie together so great flick seen it many times yeah 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 big fan yeah uh, yeah, that's a lot of what I actually talk about on my podcast, where we we dive into all sorts of um, TV shows, movies, books. They don't necessarily have to be romance TV or romance novels, but if it has that relationship, you know, we're diving into it because that is why we are reading that, watching that, consuming that. So um, I, I think we're we're all in good company here, right? We're all we're all here for for the love and the romance. Yep. Yeah, a true romance reader will be watching like a documentary and be like, ooh, you know who would probably be good together? These two talking heads. 
That's so true. You're like a news clip, but what those background people, they have a story. I feel a spark. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Um, TJ, you talked a little bit about um, the books, you know, kind of taking a break from romance as a genre because you weren't seeing um, characters that resonated with you or stories that resonated with you. I was wondering if, you know, if you can maybe start us on this, but maybe something all of us can talk about the stories that we feel are being told now that we haven't seen before, because I think that we're really in an expansive time in the genre. Um, you know, looking at at so many different love stories, time periods, subgenres, all of that. Yeah, I think, you know, looking at what was being published, you know, when I found that book in a rental house in like, you know, late 80s, early 90s, compared to what is out there now, like, clearly, there's like a lot more, a lot more different kinds uh, a lot more subgenres, I think. Um, I mean, I don't know. I was like seven, like back then. So like, it's hard for me to say for sure. I didn't, wasn't doing any surveys at that age, but like, I imagine that, um, you know, things, things have slowly and in small ways been, been changing over the last, um, you know, decade or so. And that's, that's good. That's good for me personally. Um, because, back when I was picking up those romance novels from, uh, you know, the library and, and such, it was, you know, universally heterosexual, universally white, and also universally, um, like, gendered in a way that, like, <laughs> made it so heterosexual that I couldn't even, at one at certain points, like, even enjoy myself. I was just like, well, why is he acting that way? Oh, that's how men are supposed to act? Okay, like, that's yeah, not attractive yeah. to me. Um, you know, why is she acting that way? Oh, that's what women are supposed to do. That do- also doesn't resonate with me. Um, so yeah, so that was that was why I I um, left off for for quite a while. Um, but but now when we you know when we go into the romance section, hopefully at a well stocked library or bookstore, you can see all different kinds of books and what people kind of have in their heads is like this quintessential romance you know, cover, they're, they're still there and that's great. And they are now like augmented with all these different kinds of books from, from all these different kinds of voices. I think that it's interesting seeing like what voices like are getting pushed to the front, like, you know, earlier than others, perhaps. We're still seeing like a dearth of a lot of, for example, trans feminine voices. Like I'm a trans non-binary person Um, and as far as trans writers go, non-binary and trans-masculine people far outnumber trans women and trans-feminine authors, and, you know, I think, so seeing just, like, uh, this industry and, and romance, uh, you know, is a very small microcosm of the whole of, like, you know, who are we ready to listen to? Who are we still, like, a little bit, um, wary or, or biased against? Um, you know, who is being given the chance to, to tell a story? Um, I don't know if this is answering your question. I went on a fun kind of a tangent there. No, but, uh, no, it's great. I, yeah, I think it's important to, to pay attention to um, because I think it, it speaks to a, a greater need in a, a lot, you know, in a bigger picture. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, TJ, um, I love your answer specifically because one of my hobbies, which I find hilarious as someone who works in publishing, is I love going to bookstores and trying to guess like what trends are coming by looking at the bookshelves. It's actually really not that hard to do. Um, but there was one moment during COVID, or maybe slightly, maybe like twenty twenty two, where I walked in, I realized that the bookshelves looked completely different. Like it, it really, you really could see everyone's efforts to try and tell new stories, new perspectives, all kind of just like captured in that one moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what's so beautiful about it is that we all love stories. That that has always been consistent. Um, books are not going anywhere. And when you look at these shelves, you know you are you are perhaps seeing stories that you have heard before or read before, but with new faces, new, you know, a new modern take on a classic story, which I find really exciting. Um, Actually, Jen and I were talking (laughs) and um, I was looking at my bookshelf to see if there were like any trends that I could tell like in my own bookshelf. And I was talking about um, the Spanish love deception, um, which I feel like is a good example of something like this. I had realized that I'd never really thought about that. Like usually if I seek out a romance novel, I'm not usually looking for something specific, but if I can be educated about someone's specific experience as well as just falling in love with the romance of the novel, that's like two wins for me. So it's it's really exciting to walk into the Strand or I don't know, Barnes and Noble and see a book about, you know, a Korean love story that takes place in Korea or, you know, second generation immigrants experiencing love. We know that happens, just knowing that it's taking place and it's like accessible to everyone. I feel like we're all going to find a really beautiful common ground um, that I think these novels allow, which is really exciting. (laughs) And it's interesting too, though, uh, like if if, um, somebody was writing about an Indian princess in a in a romance novel. It was a white person writing about an Indian princess. If somebody was writing about an American Indian, and I'm guilty of this in my latest short story, but it was a white person. So it was, you know, um, stories like um, uh, Pearl S. Buck, what is it? Uh, the Good Earth, right? White person writing about what it's like to be Chinese. So um, I just, I find it amazing and wonderful and very exciting to be, um, for people to to be able to like sort of read these books from the perspective of people in the actual culture. You know, um, why is it that some women are, are more than happy to have their parents decide who they should marry? Um, you know, and I, I just think it's, I think it's great. I think it'll open up a lot of minds, hopefully. Yeah, I think, um, making space on the shelves, both, you know, when we're talking about physical shelves and the physical space that they take up, I think TJ brought up a really good point as well, that, um, it's important to acknowledge that there are still some stories that are being brought to the forefront of those shelves and um, and acknowledging though that we are in a time when um, 
historically marginalized groups, marginalized authors are being able to tell their own stories and that that's a very powerful um, movement and expression um, that authors now have and that readers have, because again, seeing themselves, you know, told from um, the perspective of people like them is really an important time um, within the genre. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important if we're looking for what's kind of the glue of all of these experiences is that some, we, we all want to understand. I think the desire to understand is very prevalent. So as people are trying to write new stories and we're seeing new stories, like I love, um, I think it's called Children of Blood and Bone. Um, mm. Hoping I said that right. <laughs> I that love, is a, yeah. a title, okay. so I think it's the yeah, right yeah. title. Yeah. I, I, love, I love it. Um, it makes me realize that I, I really haven't read fantasy by, you know, someone who identifies, um, or, you know, African authors, uh, Chinese authors. If I did, it was almost like I wasn't aware. I want to be aware. I want to, I want that to be loud and proud and clear because people of various types of backgrounds should have the chance to tell their stories and it should be as accessible and I think in the forefront um, as any other story. And I, I do think we're approaching a time where that is true. If I go to Barnes and Noble and I go to the help desk and I say, you know what, I would really love to read a story that's like X, Y, and Z. I am more confident now than as opposed to maybe 10 years ago that I will actually get that, um, yeah. not have to compromise. So I think that's exciting. I, um, I tutor kids and one of my earlier students um, kind of kind of missed the boat at some point in school um and didn't understand a lot of different things so and it really was just a matter of missing some of those lessons you know or just not understanding and so i tried to find um literature for her to read that that would really spark something she is um she's black and we looked all over the place for something. And then I found a book of short stories that were all love stories and all contemporary by a Black author. And I cannot begin to tell you the difference it made. It was just incredible. And it was really well written and just like it just opened up whole vistas for her. It was wonderful. So mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, there's, there's a need. I help. Um, so Abrams has an imprint called Megascope. They also have an imprint called Shirley Books. Um, Shirley is focused on publishing uh, LGBTQ plus authors, creators, as well as stories. And then Megascope um, tries to go for basically BIPOC creators and stories. And you almost don't even realize how much of a need there is until you publish these books and people are like, oh God, I've never seen, you know, I've never seen someone who looks like me in this scenario. I've never read, you know, someone who's like this. I didn't know that this was possible for someone like me. And I think that's everlastingly beautiful about literature that it can achieve that. And the author and the reader never have to meet. Like the, <laughs> you could be halfway across the earth and you will discover that, you know, we're not, we're not so different. You know, we, we all love love and you can discover that when you go to the bookstore now and that's great. <laughs> yeah. And I, I agree with what you said about there being, you know, so much room for so many different versions of, you know, the same story. Um, when my debut novel came out uh, last year, 
Um, it was a love story between a, a cis woman and a non-binary person. Mm. And that same year, Anita Kelly's debut also came out, which was about a non-binary person uh, and a cis woman in a romance. Mm. And I remember thinking like, oh God, these books are gonna look so similar to everybody. It's gonna look like they're the same thing. And and it's gonna be really hard to you know sell my book. And it, it's just, it wasn't the case at all. There was such a thirst and such a, um, a you know need to be filled by books like this that you know we could have written the exact same book which we didn't they were both yeah. very different <laughs> books yeah. but like even if they had been uh the exact same book we would have probably been just as successful because yeah. you know so many of our readership were people who were like at this I'm gonna buy all of these because mm -hmm. I, this is what I, I've been wanting and this is you know what I finally am getting and I'm going to overindulge and I was like hooray <laughs> yes. good, for yeah, <laughs> good for everyone yeah it's a, a more more is more you know it's there's there's not really a limit for all of this and um you know even looking at tropes you know like looking at a different aspect of of the genre it, I could glut myself on friends to lovers and marriage of convenience and fake relationships, you know, like there is not a limit that exists for those tropes for me. Um, so, you know, I, I think, uh, I think there's almost like an underestimation for how much people are willing to kind of reread the same story. You know, it's, it's just seeing different interpretations, different slices of that, because every person's approach is so different and perspective is so different. Yep. Um, that does kind of bring me to one of the critiques that romance often gets, which is it's so formulaic. If it all ends in a happy ending, what is the point? Um, you know, particularly when we're looking at other subgenres like mystery or other genres like mystery and sci-fi, you know, how do you respond to, to that, that it's it's all the same? What's the point of reading romance? Well, first of all, I was just thinking about this today as I was reading through your questions. And, um, you know, there people love repetition in a, in a sense. You know, like little kids, they want to hear the exact same story. And if you mess up a word, they're like, no, no, you know, X, Y, Z. And um, so I do think that there's actually a comfort in in the sameness but i also um i just feel like there you know everybody writes so differently and i think um the way that everybody tells their stories can be um so different the characters are so different that essentially it's the excitement is in how they get there it's the exact same thing as a thriller as a spy novel, like they all basically, you know, end up with the resolution, the kind of happy resolution and um, are not necessarily happy, but they're all resolved. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so, you know, the fact that that romance has that guarantee at the end, uh, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a problem at all. And I don't think it's really all that formulaic. 
Yeah, no mystery reader is complaining like every time they crack open a new book, like, oh, another dead body. Like that's, <laughs> yeah. that's what you're here for and everyone knows it and, yeah. and that's okay. Um, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's rank misogyny in a lot of ways, p- the way that people look at romance and say like, oh, it's just, it's fluffy and funny and cute and silly. And therefore it doesn't have as much literary merit as, as other, jo- as other genres. And, you know, okay. Like, that's like your opinion. <laughs> like It's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can be wrong about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. But no, you can't, no, you can't. You can't have that anymore because just because it's written by women doesn't mean it's fluffy and, and, you know, just a bodice ripper and you don't have to pay attention. No, no, it's time. You can't judge it anymore that way. No, I, no. It's almost like you want them to come up with a new and better argument, right? Yeah, better. Yeah. But it, but if you press the argument, if you say like, well, what is it about this specifically? If it's not that it's repetitious, if it's not that it's, you know, formulaic, then what is it that's bothering you about it? You, you come to this idea that like, what is bothering these readers is that they don't think that that serious thought should be given to happiness and love. Like that's kind of what it comes down to, right? Is that they think that other stories that are dealing with darker themes or things that are more like grim and gritty are are somehow like inherently more impressive to write. And I don't think that's true. I think it's way easier to write a tragedy than it is to write a comedy because everyone's on the verge of tears all the time. It's really hard to make somebody laugh. <laughs> it's just in, almost oh, impossible some days. So if someone is writing something that is, you know, fluffy and it's engendering a, a reaction in the reader that is, that's magical, right? That's like, you've just done a trick. Um, You've just pulled it off. And I think it's way harder than people give it credit for because they don't want to give it credit because they know they can't do it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're great <laughs> I do yeah I don't know I've I find it funny that formula a formulaic nature of romance is even an argument because I mean in order for something to be a trope it's going to be a formula that that, that just makes sense and it's funny like that it would exist I, I think it's a good thing that it does exist because then we get novels and other you know mediums which play with that. I've read some where I thought it was it was really following the unspoken rule of how romance should go. And then they changed one detail and I was obsessed because <laughs> we've established, I guess, how these certain narratives should go. But no, no, they're not, certainly romance is not losing any sort of traction because it might be, you know, predictable. I'm thinking about um, like Heartstopper, Jen and I were talking. Um, about Heartstopper, you could say that that if you just write the story on paper, perhaps there's elements that you could predict, but it's it's not, that doesn't take away from it at all. You're there for the journey. Like it's exciting for that reason. Um, I was reading uh, Laura Dean Keeps Breaking Up With Me. Um, mm. I don't know actually if that classifies as a romance. Um, I think it does. But one thing that I felt so was so interesting about that work is that I walked in and was completely thrown about by the idea that it's about love, but it's also about almost self-love. Like it's not as much 
about the relationship as it is about loving yourself through the idea of romance. And I think that kind of brings me to the idea of narr like romantic narrative, asking what we're allowed to talk about in romance novels. I think that's one of the main things too that's transitioning a lot and bringing up a lot of interesting points that we're not, we're really not doing the formulaic thing as much, I think, as people would like to argue. I think a lot of people are pitching stories nowadays. I read them all the time. Um, that are talking about things that are a lot more complex than I think a, a, tip, a typical romantic story would have. It's like self-doubt, panic, um, mental disorder. There's a lot that people are being really genuinely honest about and it's adding, I don't know, context to the romance that we might be used to. But I think there's, there's definitely powerful elements to both of those, a narrative that we would expect and one that feels really different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Could not agree more. That's always one of my kind of counter arguments to the people that want to argue that romance is formulaic. I'm like, well, in this book, I sobbed my eyes out because we were dealing with grief or like, you know, dealing with breakups and death and, you know, everything, you know, every spectrum of, of human feeling is, is discussed within romance. Um, I have a little bit of show and tell beach read is one of those books for me that, um, you know, it just really hit me at a, a time in my life when I was like, I need this story. It's exploring a lot of themes that are very similar to what I'm going through. And it is now one of my, like, it's on my keeper shelf. I was reading it as an ebook and I was like, no, I need this as like a physical copy because I need it in my life as much. So um, yeah, there's kind of that transcendence of the genre as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I keep reading about that book in the Times. I mean, like just little mentions. So now I have to go get it. It's a I highly recommend it. I'd lend you my copy if you were a little bit closer, Elf. <laughs> but you would Sorry. want it back immediately. I know, right? Right. Going on the loan card. I may need to keep it on my shelf though. So I'll just oh, no. I'll go out and buy it. <laughs> Support authors too. Good deal. Good deal. Um Elf, I had a question for you around um, specifically writing historical romance. Um, I think that, you know, courtship customs have changed so much from, you know, the 1800s to today, obviously. Um, what is something that you love about courtship or, you know, writing romance specifically within a historical time period? Well, um, outside of your sister needing yes. and wanting you to to write yes. it <laughs> yes um to be honest I started to really think about you know first of all we we were TJ you were talking about like wanting to write something specific like I want to write the the book that I want to read so that's kind of my attitude toward um Regency romance I started thinking about human beings back then as opposed to human beings nowadays. And it seems to me like probably there's a lot that we both share, you know, that women were a little bit more rebellious, that, um, you know, that the, the norms were perhaps not as strict. Now, there are, there are a lot of readers who really want you to stay within the lines, but I, um, I break the lines. I, I make my characters, my, my women specifically, 
more rebellious and that they have a little more freedom in their family. Um, so that's one thing. Um, I also love having uh, a plot, like real adventure and real danger. And, you know, I put my heroines in all kinds of horrible <laughs> situations. <laughs> <laughs> because I love I love describing that stuff too and I was just reading uh something in the New Yorker about um that uh, you know there's an author out there and I I'm sorry I don't remember her name but she really concentrates on plot which is not um typical nowadays nowadays most people concentrate on relationship Obviously, I have to concentrate on relationship because it's a love story, but I put my people through heck in a handbasket, you know, so I, I love writing in the Regency because nobody can pick up a phone, nobody can um, call a policeman because there were no police back then, um, I love that they have to ride horses and they have to have some kind of relationship with the natural world. Um, and then there are the restrictions of, you know, a woman who, who is found in a room alone with a man. It's like, you know, but, um, but I had one of my, my heroes, you know, the woman was like, I can't be in that room alone with you. And he says, why are you gonna just like run out and, and say I, I seduced you and now you and now I have to marry you? And she says, of course not. And he says, then nobody's gonna care. And so you know, it's it's just I I kind of um, I I take liberties, but I take liberties that I feel are natural to the human condition and to the way that we think. So. But I, I love it love because it. I love it because I, I'm breaking rules. Uh, I I love that. I love the idea of taking a genre that has or, or is supposedly has a ton of rules applied to it or a time period that supposedly has a ton of rules applied to it and saying like, actually, I can do whatever I want. <laughs> like, no one can stop me. Um, I have a Regency romance coming out in a couple of years. Oh. Um, it's called Eden's End and it's queer. It's about a trans Earl um, who, you know, is, is a trans man. And when I was first kind of like, you know, workshopping this idea with other writers, I, I would say like, this is what I want to try and write. And they would say, oh, okay. So it's like a fantasy world, like it's Regency, but it's not our timeline. And I was just like, well, why not? And they were like, well, wouldn't that be like really hard? And I was like, I'm pretty sure I can do it. <laughs> like, yeah, you I, you know, do I have a historical record of someone like this ever existing? No, but that doesn't mean that they didn't. And even if they didn't, that doesn't mean I can't imagine it. Um, yeah. So I'm just yeah. going to do it. And so I did. And, you know. Mm -mm. <laughs> <Love> it. <laughs> well, you know, there was like a governor who, the governor of New York, like way back when, who was trans. Yeah. No, and I mean, he was, he was like, or, and, and so no, it, it happened. And yeah, in Victorian times, there Earl. were dukes and, and all sorts yeah, of landed yeah. gentry, you know, and, and outside of, you know, high class society, there were tons of, it, it, listen, 
we all know. <laughs> we all know. Yeah. Yeah. We all know that it's just like a lack of imagination in modern day because you're thinking of how difficult things are for trans people right now. You're thinking, well, how could they have possibly all the way back then have done this? And that's just, you know, that's just sad. And I just, uh, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do my thing. So I'm, I will. Excellent. Beautiful. And can you just repeat what the title of your book is? Because I oh. didn't quite hear you. Yeah, it's called Eden's End. It's coming out in 2024 from uh, Vintage Anchor. I'll be on the lookout. That's not a couple of years. That's a year. That, that'll yeah. be here sooner than we know. Wait, sorry. <laughs> Zachary, I may need you to uh, fix this in post. It is called Eden's End, and it is coming out in 2025 from Vintage Anchor. <laughs> Excellent. I look forward to reading it. Thank you. Yeah, I think we're all getting a lot of really great recommendations here today, which is awesome. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we touched a little bit on both character and covers and, and the kind of the experience of being uh, in a bookstore earlier, but I wanted to dive in a little bit more on kind of the marketing and, and design side of publishing. Um, I feel like of all of the genres out there, romance really has like character forward covers, you know, TJ, we see your book in the background, you know, it has illustrated people, but it, you know, there are still people there um elf yeah you know we it's a very people forward character forward um sense of design does that feel unique to romance and and if so do you like that do you like seeing people on your covers and you know kind of what are your your thoughts about that um elf if you want to go first <laughs> oh okay no, I think it's, I think it is unique to romance. And, um, and let me just say that, like, I had a book come out last year, The Christmas Unicorn, and um, it didn't do so well. And I think because all it has on it is on the cover is a unicorn. And uh, people didn't know it was romance. And then I, my first book was published with this beautiful horse on the cover, who is a major character. But I think that the book would have done better. I mean, it was number one in its genre on Amazon, but I think it will do better when I when I repackage it and put, you know, something something as sexy as uh, this one's got on it, you know. So I think it's pretty consistent, um, which has always been fascinating to me that there are character the, the characters are often on the cover because obviously, you know, the these design teams they're amazing, they're incredible. And it's, it's very interesting that we have almost created this unspoken rule that if we're going to read about the relationship, we need to see, or not, not all the time, but very, very, very commonly, we need to see the characters. And it's not that, you know, they're not always facing the front. It's not like just two character profiles facing the front, obviously. Yeah, there's get, always this one, right? too. You know? <laughs> <laughs> there's just clearly, you know, creative layouts to how you can do this. Um, but regardless, I think it's it's interesting that when we go into a bookstore, you you kind maybe we crave that we crave to see the people, and then we can open it, or maybe just one person. But there there seems to be a need to do that. Um, I was thinking about like again Spanish love deception, and it's like yeah, you could say the title is definitely taking up quite a bit of space. But again, there is clearly an initiative to be putting people on the cover. Um, mm -hmm. I was thinking about 
Heartstopper 2. I have, actually, I have Heartstopper 4 with me. Um, And it's not like, again, you don't have to see the faces, but maybe it's just a sense of familiarity with people, or perhaps we just want to feel like we can immediately relate to them being on the cover. But I do think there is some sort of initiative in the marketing um, or just in the design at all that you should see them very quickly. Yep. Yeah, I think that, you know, just like any genre, romance covers have a visual language that is supposed to hopefully help the reader or the bookseller or the librarian understand like, oh, you look at it and you know, like, oh, this is a historical romance or this is a contemporary romance or this is a rom-com. Right now, illustrated covers happen to be the visual language of contemporary rom-coms, which is why so far all of my covers have, you know, been like that and featured you know, the characters on the cover. Um, I think that it's interesting to kind of try and play with that, especially when the story calls for it. Uh, I really, really want to talk about the cover of my next book, but I can't because we have not announced what that book is yet. Um, But I I look forward to seeing um, covers trying new things and playing around with that visual language because just like the stories themselves, I think that there's a lot of leeway with what um, will work. I think that for the most part, readers and, and booksellers and librarians are really smart. And even if something is a little bit different, um, I think that if the designer and the artist are you know skilled enough that they can you know, really make sure that the message is getting across that like, this is what this book is and this is what it's about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely a coding between genres. You know, a couple of years ago, um, Fifty Shades of Grey came out that hearkened in an era of the object cover. Uh, the Hating Game um, came out and that's when we're seeing all of the illustrated covers that are coded as romantic comedy. Um, so it really is like covers are as much a language for readers and booksellers as they are for, you know, authors and, and how they want their book to be represented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you, what other things besides covers do you think that readers are kind of responding to these days, particularly when it comes to like things that work on the marketing end of the spectrum? Book talk, you know, I think might be part of the conversation, but certainly um, however, however you want to answer. Well, I think blurbs are really important. I used to write them for Penguin Random House and, um, and uh, you know, that's, that's a real art form. I mean, I would send something in and the editor would just make it sing. And, you know, there were other authors who would be like, no, 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 I want to do this with it and make it sing. And, you know, I think a blurb is really super important to give people a, a, you know, a little idea of what's going to happen. I think, you know, I want to explore book talk. I was looking at it today and was completely unsuccessful in getting into it. I know. <laughs> I'm so computer illiterate. It's just horrible. Oh, it's fine. I I I adore book talk. I think it's hilarious because I should we should have been able to predict that this would happen. I feel like it's very consistent on book talk that people are almost telling store they're using stories to market stories. And I think that's 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 very magical. It will be like, oh, maybe you don't even know that they're marketing a book to you, but they're going to do like a 
point of like a POV video or they, they it sounds like they're telling you about their own experience and then they'll drop a pile of books and be like if you liked this then you'll probably love this pile of books so it's it's like the community the reading community already knows all of the unspoken rules and they know how to play with that they know how to pull you in by talking about you know my ex you know did this and it's like oh and now here's five books that <laughs> where this happens and you will love it. Um, yeah, I think it's just, it's just great. It's interesting to watch. Yeah, I'm a, a little baby author, really. I only have a couple of books out. So marketing and, and um, all of that is still much a mystery to me. I mean, I've had a great marketing team uh, at Atria for both of my books and uh, they seem to be, you know, doing great. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I hope though that in the future, um, publishers and and marketers in general think more about how to reach an audience that wouldn't traditionally be readers. You know, there are a lot of trans and non-binary people that I would love to say like, hey, you know, have you heard of this book? Like, you might like this. You may not have read a book in a really long time. You may not have read a romance in a really long time because maybe you were looking for something like this and it didn't exist before and now it does so how do you reach those people I don't know if we figured that out yet I really hope that we do though yeah reintroducing I think people to literature no, no matter the reason I think I've, I've seen a few things where I'm like oh that's just wise like the other day I saw a TikTok I don't know if I would classify it as book talk but it did it did involve a book um <laughs> where the book was a cake actually so it, it looked like a book and then someone sliced into it and revealed that it was a cake. So as I'm sure you could guess, a lot of people who bake were like, oh, wait a minute. I thought I was watching like, you know, a cake video and, you know, or, and vice versa. I thought I was watching a video about books. So I think we're getting a lot of very organic ideas from the readers who are coming out with ways to talk about, you know, things just based on their own hobbies. Um, and that's exciting. Cause I agree, TJ, I think, it there are definitely people who like there's a common joke like oh I haven't read a book you know since school or like maybe maybe they are in maybe they go to conventions or cons and they're interested in something that's like book adjacent but they don't actually buy a book there's definitely settings um where I think marketing teams can definitely come out with ideas you know but budget willing because that's definitely <laughs> a part of the conversation um but yeah I do think there are a lot of like uh, setting, bending, if you will, places where you could kind of cross over and talk to people who don't even know that they're looking for that story. Right. Um, and I think that's, once we, once we start to fill in that gap, I think it's going to be really cool. And I think it's also kind of what, um, Elf said earlier on in our conversation about, um, you know, being able to have an experience where like you find a story that resonates with a child that you're tutoring, you know, and um, handing that off to them and kind of taking down some of the barriers to reading, you know, for, for younger people. But I also think looking at how we can do that for adults as well is really an important part of the equation. Yep. Yeah. Um, so I just have one final question for you, and we've collected a lot of recommendations here, but I want one more recommendation. Um, if you could recommend one book to get someone into romance, what would it be? Well, I would recommend the book that got me back into romance as an adult, which was Rebecca Weatherspoon's Rafe, 
colon buff male nanny. I mean, it was a brilliant book, a wonderful like cover. And I saw someone talking about it on Twitter, like, look at this. It's a, it's a romance about a buff male nanny. And I was like, sold. Like I immediately knew like this wasn't, this wasn't going to be, you know, your mom's romance novel or whatever. It was, you know, something I hadn't seen before. And I just, I loved the hell out of that book so much. Um, I should go back and reread it. <laughs> I love that book, TJ. I and similarly, like it was like one sentence, and I was sold. I was like, "Say less," you know. Yeah. We're, we're good. <laughs> I was like, "He has a job, <laughs> and he's good with kids." Like oh the bar is so low. <laughs> I know, <laughs> like, right? right? For male heroes, for me. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, I, I don't know, like, I still, I still think The Rig is just about the best books that I've, uh, you know, I, I just love it. I think it's an amazing book. So, um, Hating Gabe, that's really fun. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> I feel like mine, it's not a novel. Um, and I wouldn't say that I moved away from romance, definitely not deliberately. Um, but this was probably one of the most gentle, I think, approaches to romance that I'd read in a while. Um, it's called Tiny Love Stories. It, it doesn't have people on the cover. Um, basically, it's basically like paragraph long submissions to the New York Times and people just like type whatever experience they've had to the New York Times and they made it a book so you, you can like it's little sketches of oh. scenarios. It's very what I would call like bite sized literature. Um, and personally, I just fell in love with how simple the book looks. And then you open it and you realize like how deeply complex, you know, how, you know, how stories can be. Um, it's almost like a heartbreaking, a heartbreaking paragraph. And then a paragraph that shows you joy, grief, you can find all of it um, in this book. So after you finish it, which I have not, um, you almost crave to have something similar in another book. So gateway romance. <laughs> I love, love it. That, that sounds great. so interesting. Mm -hmm. Join me. Read <laughs> <laughs> Whenever I'm recommending, I say, you know, like, what did you like previously? You know, what is your entry point to, to books and literature outside of romance? And I will give you that recommendation. So I think that's exactly, you know, like this is, you, you can read a few paragraphs of this and get that love story and get those, those good feelings of the genre. So I totally get why that's a, a great recommendation. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you all for joining me for this lovely conversation um, about romance. I love talking with all of you about books about love and love stories. Thank you. Thank, thank you for you, having Jen. me. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for leading us through this conversation, and TJ, Lauren, and Elf for giving us a look into the genre. For our audience, if you find yourself interested in our organization and would like to learn more about the things we do, please feel free to venture to our website at newyorkbookforum.org. Our next event will be focused on lifelong literacy and how we as an industry are fighting to ensure the love of reading stays alive and well. Thank you for spending this hour with us, and we hope to see you at our next event.